0: You are secure in Jesus Christ. Every single one whom God foreknew, he will justify. And the Bible promises that he will not lose a single sheep. There is no leakage in this chain from beginning to end. And anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is just misinformed.
1: Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogey. Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of verses 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8, we've been looking at God's foreknowledge regarding whatever decision any person would make regarding trusting in and being conformed to Jesus Christ. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy explains that we're not just forgiven, but God now sees us as His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. In him it is impossible to lose salvation. Let's join Pastor Brogy now.
0: Now, he moves from eternity past. We've been speaking of God's foreknowledge, of God's advanced knowledge. And based on that advanced knowledge, we've been speaking of God's predestined purpose. Now he moves into time and space when we think of God's calling. That's the third point on the outline. God's calling. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Look at verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. Now, in the Bible, the word called has two usages. One very, very general and one very, very specific, the verb, that is. There's the general call of God that happens whenever the good news is preached. When the gospel is preached, God knocks, so to speak, at the door of your heart he is calling you to make a decision and by the way don't ever think that you called upon God first God took the initiative the Arminian is totally wrong in that he thinks man has a spark left within himself all by himself to respond to God impossible we've already studied the deadness of man and so right after man sins God comes in the garden he asks the question where are you That's not the voice of a detective. That's a voice of a loving, searching God, helping Adam to see precisely where he is. Adam is hiding from God in his sin, and God asks him, where are you? Don't think that Adam was seeking God. God was seeking Adam, and the New Testament reminds us of that same truth. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. The initiative began with God. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we love him because he first loved us. Do you think it was your idea to seek the Lord, to read some book on apologetics, to come to church? It was not. It was God's idea. He put the interest in your heart, and if he had never put that interest in your heart, you never would have had that interest. The only reason you came is because he put that interest in you. But in saying that, don't think for one moment that God doesn't give all man an opportunity because he does. That general call that goes out to the ends of the earth, the prophet Isaiah said, speaking of the Lord, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, he says of all of humanity deemed as wicked, as I live, declares the Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. And the New Testament, Jesus again said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not an insincere invitation. It is a sincere invitation. Just as he said in John 7, now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, again, it's not some insincere invitation when God says, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take water of life without cost to come. Now, don't ever think that man doesn't have an opportunity. Now, I'm not dealing this morning. It's not the scope of this sermon to deal with the age-old question about those who have never heard the name of Jesus who have never heard the first word from the Bible. I have a sermon on that earlier in our series in Romans. And if you've not studied that, you might want to go back and listen to one of the messages I taught in the first, cent- first chapter. But please know that God's initiative is not to a select few. It is to all men. That's true in the Old Testament. And it's true in the New Testament when He promises when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world. And world means world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And this is why Jesus could tell those unbelieving Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Christ did not say they were unable. He said they were unwilling. It is not entirely accurate to say that it is impossible to resist the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, that, gives, that he gives. Because many did. I have Calvinistic friends who say that when God works in your heart, it is irresistible grace you cannot refuse it. That's a half-truth. Do you remember that preaching deacon, Stephen, right before he's stoned to death and he's speaking to his Jewish brethren and he scans the whole Old Testament proving that Jesus is the Christ? And he says at the end of that sermon, just before they take him out, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. There are many who say no to God the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear that God in his sovereignty never overrides the free will of man. He works in all, but not all respond. Not all are saved. But when you respond to the general call of God, and God knows those who will respond, and sometimes it's initially given in creation, sometimes it's given in conscience, and we learned in Romans 1 that light received brings more light. But when a man responds to the general call of God, then indeed there's the internal, irresistible call. And in that sense, the grace of God is irresistible. And in that sense, the chain is unbroken because those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he called, he glorified. And so here in verse 30 of our text, the Apostle Paul is speaking of those who would have responded to the general call of God, making their call an effectual saving call into salvation. And again, remember, in the context, Paul is speaking of the saved in verse 28. Those who love God, those who are a member of the called according to His will. Now that brings us to the fourth link in God's salvation's chain. God in His foreknowledge, and His advanced knowledge knowing how men would respond to the general call. Those who would respond, he predetermined, he predestined them to be converted. And so now we come to God's justification. Notice the chain of events. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. Now again, he is explaining how it is that God works everything together for our good. And God knows how men will respond. And when men respond, this stage kicks in. Those whom he foreknew who predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And everyone who is predestined to become conformed to the image of his son will be justified, period. Now notice the word justified. It's an important word here in the Bible. There are words like justified, reconciled, redeemed, propitiated, foreknowledge, and these salvation words, and people say, well, that's for the seminary professor. That's for the pastor. I can't understand those things. No, you can understand these things, and it's part of maturing and growing up in Jesus Christ. And it's important that you understand these things for several reasons. First of all, when you understand words like these, it helps you to understand what God is like and precisely what it is that God has done. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And some of us do not have a healthy view of God and a healthy view of ourselves because we don't understand what these words mean. And so God wants to remove the cobwebs of distortion. And he wants you to understand what this term justified means. It's also important that we understand words like justified, because if we don't, we can easily become prey to many of the cults who will show up at our doors. Now, I don't believe for a second that if some cult shows up at your door, if you're genuinely saved, that you will abandon the faith and follow the cult. 1 John 2.19 teaches otherwise. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. But the fact that they went out from us indicates that they were not really of us to begin with. In other words, if you have it, you can't lose it. I baptized someone in the first service who supposedly made a decision for Christ when he was younger, renounced the faith and became a Muslim, full-fledged. Came to this church and he received Christ. And today he confessed it in the first service. If you are truly saved, you cannot lose it, but cults can knock you off-center. Not to mention there are some churches that have the gospel, but they're not sound overall in doctrine and you can waste your life in those churches where you stagnate as an immature believer when you could be growing and maturing in a healthy local assembly where you could make a difference in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. So when you read words like forenew and predestined, called and justified and glorified, you need to know what they mean. These are critical to the way you think about yourself, others in God himself, and the way you think about yourself is also going to help to dictate the way you treat other people. Strong and stable Christians understand these words. Christians who are all over the map or up and down don't. And so with Peter, I would say, gird up your loins for action. Pay close attention to these words. Let me give you a definition. Now, I suppose if I've heard this definition once, I've heard it a thousand times, that the word justified means just as if I never sinned. That's not true. That's inaccurate to what the Bible teaches. Let me give you a biblical definition, and then I'll prove it to you from Scripture. Justification is the act whereby God declares the believing sinner to be righteous in his sight while remaining in a sinful state. That's what it means. It's an act of God where God declares the believing sinner, who is still sinful, to be righteous in his fallen state. Now it's an act. Please understand, it is not a process. Sanctification is a process. But justification is an act It takes place at a point in time in your life. Sanctification is the process whereby God makes you more and more like His Son. It may change from day to day, but justification never changes. That's why in the introduction to this epistle, He calls every child of God a saint. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1, in the opening verse, He calls every Corinthian. And if you know the Corinthians, you know that was a church with a lot of problems. He calls every Christian a saint. Because sainthood is not based on your sanctification, it's based on a declaration that God makes about you. It is an act of God where God declares you righteous. And notice it's not only an act, it's an act of God. It's not something you do, it is something that God does to you. It is from the courtroom, it is a legal term, it's a legal declaration that God makes about you. Now understand, being justified is far more than being pardoned. Being pardoned is something negative. Being justified is something that is very pardoned. Being justified is far more than being pardoned, and it's a thousand times more than being forgiven. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, number one, a judge may pardon you. That is, he may release you from the consequences that your actions deserve, but he cannot forgive you. Only God can truly forgive in the ultimate sense. And even forgiveness is different because forgiveness deals with restoring the relationship. So you can technically be pardoned and not be forgiven. And the corollary is true. You can be forgiven and not be pardoned. When my children were young, sometimes they would say, daddy, will you forgive me? And I will say, yes, I will forgive you, and I will show them the forgiveness that God had extended to me. And then sometimes they would come right back and say, well, can I go out and play? And I would say, well, no, you cannot, because sometimes there were consequences that they needed to learn from, that they needed to face. Someone may murder a member of your family, and while you can forgive them, you would never probably want to pardon them if you were a judge. Now, forgiveness does not mean forgive and forget. If someone came into your home and raped your wife and murdered her, you would never forget it. But the way you remember it, if you've truly forgiven, is different. You don't remember with a sense of bitterness where it controls you. You release that person, but you would also want the judge to exercise justice. Because the function of the law is to put down evil and to put up good. And if justice is not exercised, then sin has more freedom in which to function. So the voice of pardon says, you may go. You've been let off from the penalty which your, your actions deserve. Whereas the voice of forgiveness says, I, I no longer hold this debt against you. I forgive you. But while I may have been forgiven, that doesn't necessarily mean that I've been justified. Now, it is for the child of God, for the Christian. But understand, being justified and being forgiven is not the same. If all God did when He saved us was forgive us, then you would go to hell. Now, that may sound like heresy to you and it may shock you, but forgiving you does not make you holy and righteous. And to go to heaven, you need to be as holy and as righteous as God Almighty because He will not allow anything into His heaven that will defile it. And so when God saves us, He not simply forgives us, He declares us righteous in His sight. Now, unfortunately, sometimes Catholics, sloppy Protestants, More often, liberal Protestants take justification and sanctification, and they blend them together. And this has happened more recently in the last couple of years, and there's been a lot of discussion in the realms of theology over this issue. So let's think about this for just a moment. Look at verse 30. Look at the word justified. You might want to underline the last two letters of the word. It's a past tense. In Greek, it's what we call an aorist indicative indicating that this took place at a point in time, not over a period of time. So some have falsely taught that a person cannot be saved by faith alone through Christ alone. And they believe that a man is saved not only by faith, but faith plus meritorious works. And so if you were to take their theology and put it into an equation, it might look like this. Faith in Christ's work plus good deeds, good works, will equate to justification. And this is what the whole Protestant Reformation was over. When Martin Luther, in 1542, tacked to the door of the church there in Wittenberg, Germany, those 95 theses or assertions, the Catholic Church responded from 1545 to 1563 with a council known as the Council of Trent. You say that's ancient. What does it have to do with today? It has everything to do with today because Vatican I and Vatican II reaffirmed everything that was taught at the Council of Trent. And they rejected Martin Luther's understanding that a man was saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, which is precisely what the Bible teaches. And so at the Council of Trent in Canon Number 9, they said this, If anyone says that by faith alone the sinner is justified, saved, declared righteous, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. The word anathema, you recognize it. It's found in Galatians 1. Paul uses it of those who preach a different gospel. He said, if anyone comes to you preaching a gospel, even an angel from heaven, different from the one that I delivered to you, he is to be set aside for judgment. He is to be anathema. In Canon 12, the Catholic Church said, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else, than confidence in the divine mercy pardoning sins for Christ's sake, which is what the Bible teaches. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy pardoning sins for Christ's sake, or that it is that confidence alone by which we are justified or saved, let him be anathema. Canon 24, if anyone says that the justice received is not preserved or kept and also increase before God through good works. But that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of the justification obtained, which is what the Bible teaches. But not a cause of the increase thereof. Let him be anathema. Now, what they said at the Council of Trent, what they reaffirmed in Vatican I, Vatican II, is heresy. Now, let me say to many of my Catholic friends, Many of them have a whole lot more orthodoxy than the average Protestant church does today. And I thank God for that. And there are many born-again Roman Catholics who, through their own search and study of Scripture, have come to believe on Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they have no idea what their own church teaches. But lay that aside for just a second. The Bible is very clear that the source of our justification is by the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ and that alone, and we can do absolutely nothing to improve upon that work. And so if you were to relate works to salvation in the New Testament, an equation would look like this, that faith in Christ's work alone, meaning his death and resurrection, equals justification plus good works that good works are the fruit in evidence, and that justification and sanctification are two distinct doctrines. But the Bible-believing Christians who recognize that find a freedom to grow. And those who don't recognize that become very, very confused. And again, you need to distinguish between this one-time act that gives you a new position whereby you are declared holy in God's sight, from this ongoing process whereby God is shaping you into that image. One speaks of our position, the other speaks of our practice. And so the voice of pardon says you may go. You've been let off for the penalty for the crime that you've committed. Where the voice of forgiveness says, I no longer hold this debt against you. I release you. I forgive you. But the voice of justification says, not only is your sin pardoned, not only are you forgiven, not only do I wipe the slate clean, but I reckon I impute to your person the very righteousness that Jesus Christ himself has. I pronounce you a righteous man. And so it is inaccurate to say that justification means just as if I never sinned. It would be better to say just as if I had always perfectly obeyed. And so justification is not simply the remission of our sins. It's not simply the release of punishment, but it's a new ground on which you stand on. And if you believe in sola scriptura, that Scripture alone is the final authority, you can come to no other conclusion. Now, that brings us to the final leak in this chain. Notice, for eternity in heaven to become a reality, you have to be predestined. And God, in His prior knowledge, knowing how men would respond to His initiative, predestines those who will respond to become Uh, shaped into the image of His Son. And so in time and space, it comes down to a calling by which you are justified. And then finally, the fifth link, God's glorification. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. And again, you might want to note here, does not say will glorify. You might want to circle the last two letters of the word glorified. The doctrine of glorification refers to that time when God will complete your salvation and give you a resurrected body like Christ. Now, experientially, I'm waiting for that. I'm not in my glorified body. I still struggle with the sin nature within. And as I grow in Christ, I increasingly get victory over that. But while experientially, I'm not glorified positionally, God says it's already done. He says, I've been glorified. In God's mind, it is good as done. In God's mind, there's no leakage between those whom he foreknew and those whom he glorified. Every single one of those are in a past in an heiress tense. So if you are a part of the called that Romans 8.28 speaks of, what God began, he will complete. And so the Lord Jesus, who is called the good shepherd of the sheep, who's called the great shepherd, who's called the chief shepherd, will keep all of his sheep. Listen, if a shepherd left the sheep's fold in the morning with a hundred sheep and he came back with 92, he wouldn't be a good shepherd. But a good shepherd wouldn't be satisfied with coming back with even 99. A good shepherd would not be happy if he lost even one. And so it is with our good shepherd. And so Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What marks a true child of God is that God knows them, not just in an information sense. He obviously knows everyone in that sense, but in a relational sense. John will say, quoting Jesus, this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God. The essence of eternal life is having a personal relationship with the living God. Not just knowing about Him or of His existence. Every man knows that. There's no such thing even as an atheist in the Word of God. Though we spend a lot of time writing to them and arguing for the existence of God. The Bible devotes one half of one verse to atheism. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. We're not just talking about knowing God's existence. We're talking about knowing God personally. That's why Jesus will say to some, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. But of His sheep, He said, My sheep, hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. Because following Christ is a mark, a fruit of conversion. And I give. We don't earn it. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one, shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand. This little piece of paper is me, and this is the hand of the Father. Jesus said, I give eternal life to you. You will never perish. No one shall snatch you out of my Father's hand. My Father who is greater than all, no one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, you don't hold on to God. God holds on to you. You are secure in Jesus Christ. Every single one whom God foreknew, He will justify. And the Bible promises that He will not lose a single sheep. There is no leakage in this chain from beginning to end. And anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is just misinformed. Now, how can we apply this text of Scripture today? Let me suggest several applications as we close. Number one, we must recognize and acknowledge God's sovereignty in salvation. We must recognize and acknowledge God's sovereignty in salvation. I am saved today totally by the grace of God, and I want to give God every bit of honor and every ounce of honor for my salvation. Because it was all His work As Romans 3 says, by nature, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks God. If that is true, don't determine it by your experience. If you as a little child sought God, it was in response to God's initiative, very often in response to the prayer of a parent or a grandparent, but by nature, none seeks God.
1: The Bible tells us none seeks God, no, not one. God alone works in the lives of people, drawing them to Himself and then using His Word to bring them to repentance and to true salvation. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, download the Search the Scriptures app. There you can listen to not only the entire Romans series, but also Pastor Brogy's sermon series on the book of Daniel, Revelation, and many, many more. Just look up Search the Scriptures with Dr. Carl Brogy in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a CD or DVD by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478. Tomorrow we'll conclude our message entitled, God's Chain of Salvation. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.